You are listening to Mike Seminary and Friends, a Q1 Network production. In an effort to make this series on North Dakota's role in helping not just the region, but really the entire country effectively address in very very important subjects and topics like water, the shortage of it, especially in the Southwest, the, some people say the pending ag uh, and food shortage, a global crisis, the really spirited and sometimes nasty debate with regards to what's a healthy transition from a fossil fuel economy, which we really are, most of the planet is, frankly. How, how do we do that in a manageable measured, planned way from fossil fuels to renewables and other alternatives. And the the list goes on. I don't know that I could think of a better person that has a a more detailed resume in dealing with energy, fossil fuels, uh, water crises, water crises that involve fellow states, Um, other countries when it comes to managing water from one river that goes from one state to another into another country. I can't think of a person that's been at the table more for policy and listening when it comes to projects that have impact for not just the residents of North Dakota, but the region and really the, the entire country. He's a former president of the Bank of North Dakota, which means um, he knows a little bit about projects and how they get financed. He was the governor of North Dakota. With, with part of that responsibility meant he was set on the um, Industrial Commission, which is really a, a group of folks that listen to uh, ideas and possibilities for how to manage utilities more effectively and industries and projects. And now he's the United States Senator for the great state of North Dakota. It's a, a great pleasure for me and honor to have with you on Mike Seminary and friends this morning, United States Senator John Hoven. Uh, Governor Hoven, thank you. Excuse me, Senator Hoven, thank you so much for joining me this morning. It's great to see you. How are you? Good, Mike, and good to be with you. Uh, and uh, appreciate you inviting me to join you for this podcast. Well, it's my pleasure. And uh, sorry about the slip. I was so used to calling you governor. I don't see you quite as often as senator because you're so darn busy and appreciate you so much. But I have, during the past couple of weeks, uh, seen you in action. And while th- this particular subject is somewhat off track for w- why I asked you to come on to talk about energy and power and water, I happened to see you twice uh, in the Valley to talk about two very important projects and I some ways related to what's happening in the western part of the state when it comes to technology. First, the grand farm announcement where uh, through your efforts, there is uh, appropriation for NDSU, USDA, and grand farm to team up and come up with a plan for how to take grand farm and expand their research development capabilities and educational opportunities. And I was so excited to to hear you talk about that because like everything else in our life, 
technology is playing a more important role all the time. And in agriculture, it's it's exactly the same. So that was an exciting announcement and it was very well received. My, here's my question. How long does it take for, for you to work with your colleagues to make a project like that happen? And I'm sure your fellow senators could, would have similar stories, but how, do, how long does it take to get something like that accomplished? Well, uh, Grand Farm's a great initiative. And, you know, there's a lot of steps uh, along the way. We actually had, uh, I brought uh, USDA Secretary Sonny Perdue, Secretary of Ag, out to uh, Fargo in 2019, and we broke ground on Grand Farm. And, you know, it, it's just a great uh, collaboration, brings together agriculture and technology and really seeks to lead the way in precision agriculture. And who better to do it than uh, North Dakota? We have the best farmers and ranchers in the country and really the most sophisticated in terms of their use of uh, technology. And so uh, along with NDSU and, uh, you know, NDSU Ag Research and Extension, particularly, we're, you know, we've pulled together this collaboration between growers, businesses, entrepreneurs, higher education, and uh, really are, are surging ahead and taking a lead in precision ag. And, and it just, that not only provides real benefits to our farmers today on the ground in terms of what they're doing, but also I think is just going to bring so many uh, opportunities uh, for the future. And I, and I just, you know, you were there and I talked about some of them, even things like figuring out how we're going to sustain people in space. Now that, you know, we really can get people out in space, we still have to figure out how we sustain them. And you know, that's the kind of futuristic aspects it has as well. And so as far as some of the funding, I had uh, Grand Farms Brian Carroll out to uh, testify in front of our Ag Appropriate Committee, uh, I think it was last year, and then worked over the course of, uh, you know, a little over a year to really bring together this funding that uh, partners up Grand Farm, NDSU, and ARS, the uh, Department of Agriculture's Ag Research Service, uh, to uh, to really advance this uh, precision ag research and development. So it's very exciting. Greg Tavine and his whole entrepreneurial group has been a huge part of it uh, in the Valley. And it, it's just this great collaboration, like I say, between our farmers, between tech businesses like Microsoft and of course, NDSU ARS. Uh, and, uh, you know, just uh, like I say, uh, one of a kind, great partnership that we're very excited about. During that uh, same series of events, I also happened to have the opportunity to hear you during the Autonomous Nation conference was a, on the campus of Microsoft. And I thought I knew a little bit about Grand Sky. And that's when I learned I know just a little bit. Your presentation and the people that followed you, that was an eye opener for me. Um, you know, the, the, we broke the ground in 2015 for Grand Sky, but as you so eloquently mentioned, that was an overnight success that you started working on in 2005. But that particular effort is huge. You had mentioned there are seven uh, government agencies involved, 16 partners, you know, for, for example, Northrop Grumman, and the General Atomic System, which are uh, massive, massive companies. And that is not only putting 
North Dakota on the map, but really the region and the country with regards to what's happening in, in Grand Sky. Could you elaborate just a little bit? Because I, I think that speaks volumes again to the ingenuity of people in North Dakota, but then also the leadership that we have that can make these things happen. Yeah, really, you know, we started uh, uh, by talking about uh, Grand Farm and really a a fair amount of of the model there is based off what we did with the Grand Sky Technology Park. And that goes all the way back, as you said, to 2005 when his governor started working on it. I had set up the military in North Dakota, our mine committee, uh, wherein we were looking for ways to not only strengthen our both our Air Force bases at Grand Forks, but also our Air Guard. And then, you know, collaborate on developing uh, new missions, but also, again, linking technology, uh, the university uh, and uh, uh, businesses with with our uh, bases and, and, and those kind of efforts. And so that started, like I said, in 2005 with the Center of Excellence for Unmanned Aviation. Center of Excellence was a program I started as uh, governor and it brought together, uh, you know, leading businesses and our universities to create these opportunities, not only to do research and development, commercialize new products and services, but then also link people in with employment and uh, jobs of the future. And one of those was, like I said, the UAS, uh, the Center of Excellence for uh, Unmanned Aviation Systems at Grand Forks. So that starts out in 2005, and then we uh, build it. We work with the uh, ISR mission, the, the UAV, Unmanned Aerial Vehicle Mission at Grand Forks Global Hawk. Grand Forks Air Force Base. We bring uh, Customs and Border Protection in there because they fly both manned and unmanned aircraft. In 2011, then, it, when I came to the Senate, I passed legislation that set up six test sites around the nation for development of unmanned aviation in the NAS, national airspace, because, um, you know, the, the regulatory agency, F, agency, FAA, which is primarily focused on safety, was reluctant to go there. So we actually passed this legislation to set up these test sites. The very first test site established in the country is the Northern Plains test site at Grand Forks. That was in 2011. Then, as you say, we followed on by setting up the Grand Sky Technology Park. That's an enhanced use lease uh, between uh, the Air Force and Grand Forks County on the Grand Forks Air Force Base that actually allows us to use uh, the runways and so forth at Grand Forks Air Force Base. So it's a one-of-a-kind technology park, manned and unmanned aircraft, military and civilian aircraft. And, you know, we have the very top companies in the world, uh, companies like uh, General Atomics and uh, Northrop Grumman, now General Dynamics leading a new charge with Iridian and uh, Raytheon and other companies, as you mentioned in this latest venture, which we just announced, which is uh, the Test Resource Management Center that develops things for Air Force and for Department of uh, Department of Defense, right now working on hypersonics, we're bringing a big part of that hypersonics development to Grand Forks. As you said, it involves 16 different agencies and companies, the leading aerospace companies in the world, along with uh, you know, the Department of Defense, Air Force, Space Force, and all these different entities. Uh, and you'll hear more about it at the UAS conference here the first part of October. Uh, but we are now uh, the, really the heart and soul of what's called Sky Range, which is going to be how we test hypersonic 
missiles. Uh, right now, the way we test them is we line up naval ships, and then we try to track them as they go over. That's very cumbersome, very expensive, and it doesn't work very well. So now we've brought the whole global Hawk fleet back, other than the Black 40s, which we uh, are still in the uh, Air Force uh, arsenal. And of course, we lead that out of Grand Forks Air Force Base. But the, the Block 10, the Block 20, the Block 30s, all of the older Global Hawk aircraft now have been brought back to Grand Sky Technology Park, where Northrop Grumman is retrofitting them to instead of look down, they'll look up, we'll put them up in the air, and that it will, they will be called Range Hawks. That will be the heart and soul of the Sky Range program. Uh, along with, with satellite development, and, and we can get into all that because we're also uh, one of two bases now in the nation, uh, ourselves in Redstone. We're the Air Force Base, Grand Forks Air Force Base. Redstone, Alabama is the Army base, but we're going to be the communications link with what's called LEO, Low Earth Orbit Satellites. But between our Sky Range Range Hawks and the LEO satellites, that's how we're going to track and test hypersonic missiles. So important because we have to maintain a technological lead over our adversaries like China, Russia, and others. And, and this is how we're going to do it. And between Grand Sky Technology Park and these leading aerospace companies and Grand Force Air Force Base, we are right at the center of this unbelievable development. And that's why I said, you know, it, we actually started on this back in 2005, but here now in 2022, I mean, it's like the whole nation now is focused on all these things we're doing in ISR, which is the drone world, intelligence, reconnaissance, and surveillance, in the satellite world with the low Earth orbit uh, satellite, and then this Grand Sky Tech Park, where we're bringing all these other things like actually communicating, global communications, not done by radio wave anymore, but with lasers linking satellites to our military operations around the globe. So it's it's just unbelievable what's happening there. It's taken some time to build it, but boy, we have just incredible momentum now and are really at the heart of this amazing uh, development for, you know, for not only our military, but really for um, aerospace and space as well. Senator, the other, thank you for sharing that information. The other thing I learned at, at that conference, that, that happens to be the Autonomous Nation Conference, where you went into detail, much like you just did now, by the way, is the shared information between the entities that are gathering data, because we, we live in a time where big data rules, and that's never going to change, and how that collaborates or coordinates with the equipment, which we now call intelligent equipment. I also learned that those same folks that are working on that part of the uh, Grand Sky initiative, they collaborate with folks like at Microsoft and other partners to impact other forms of autonomous transportation. And I, I heard that day about the second time I've heard about EVTOLs, which are electric vehicle takeoff and landings, which is soon to be some play some role in how we get from point A to point B. I thought it was kind of reserved for the TV series, The Jetsons, I watched when I was a kid growing up. But it's really, in fact, just around the corner. So I was so fascinated to listen 
to all the partners that are involved in that particular project and how they're collaborating with folks at Microsoft or, or Grand Farm because that shared technology and data is just so critically important. So that was an eye-opener for me. Well, let's Yeah, no switch. question about it. So let's switch. One, to... one point, let me throw in one, piggyback one thought on there, Mike, because that is yes. such a big thing. And it's so interesting. I was down at Cape Canaveral here uh, a little over a year ago. And the reason I went there is because Derek Tenere, the director of the Space Defense Agency, asked me to come down because there was a SpaceX uh, launch and he wanted me to come down with him and, and, and watch that um, Falcon 9 rocket go, uh, you know, being sent into space because it contained three SDA satellites, which will be controlled out of uh, Grand Forks as part of the low Earth orbit satellite mission. And so he wanted me to come see uh, you know, how they were putting these satellites out in space. And they're going to put hundreds, if not thousands of satellites out there as part of this, but they're using uh, SpaceX to take those satellites out into space. And so we, we went down there and I went into the uh, SpaceX hangar where there were uh, 10 Falcon 9 rockets. All of them had been out to space and back 10 times. That represents 100 space flights. Sometimes they just take you know, satellites out, uh, put them out there wherever they're supposed to be in orbit, and then the, the spaceship actually turns around and flies back and lands uh, right there at Cape Canaveral on a platform, uh, you know, right right uh, where uh, location where it took off. So no kidding, space travel is here. Uh, now we need to figure out how, like I say, you know, we sustain people out there while we do these things. But to your point, all those rockets, essentially, they can go out with people, they can go out with Satellites, they can go out with others, uh, with, with, you know, other missions. Um, we're going to take people to the space station with that. Um, all these different things, and that is exactly what you just said. There's 100 space flights right there. So this idea, that's what I'm trying to get across is with our, what we're doing in aerospace, being the unmanned aviation thing, the SR thing, and then that translates all the way out into space. We now have the capability through both uh, manned and unmanned aircraft uh, to be do just what you said, take people out into aerospace, take people out into space, come back and all those kind of things. And we're a big part of developing what you just described and it's happening. Thank you, Senator. So that started in 2005. And, and uh, so 17 years later, as you, as you so eloquently put it at the, at the summit, that overnight success 17 years later, that really was a result of the importance of security for, for our country. And one could make the case that energy is exactly the same. In fact, I'm going to tee up our next conversation by using two quotes. One, I, I'm almost positive you're the first person I ever heard say, and I'm almost positive it was at the 2009 Great Plains Energy Expo and Showcase, which is what it was called at that time. I believe you were the first person that I heard say publicly that we're in all of the above state when it comes to addressing energy, whether it's solar, wind, hydro, nuclear, oil, gas, coal, we're all of the above. And, and then I want to go to uh, Brian Moynihan. Brian is the CEO of Bank of America. And at the Davos Summit, 
but five months ago, whatever it was, they were talking about the global energy crisis and discussion. They almost all agreed that treating this like a light switch is not the best strategy. You have to have a far better plan. And he mentioned North Dakota, that North Dakota has a plan. And that's how I want to tee up this discussion, because a lot of that started back when it may have started before you. I'm not sure, but I, I only know of then uh, Governor Hoven and his leadership in uh, all things energy for the state. It's one of the reasons we had that conference. That conference still goes on today. Now it's called the Great Plains Empower North Dakota Energy Conference. So my first question is, is this, is it, I mean, how should, what's the best way to phrase it without being rude? Is, is the way we're treating our energy policy right now in this country, where we've treated it almost like a light switch, am I wrong in saying that it is a huge contributor to the inflation the inflation problem that we're having and the incredible delays that we have in moving projects forward, Senator? Yeah, there's no question. It's a big part of inflation. And that's because the, the current administration is not, is really put the handcuffs on our energy producers. Nobody can produce energy better than we can. North Dakota is a powerhouse uh, energy powerhouse for our country. And as you say, we produce it from all sources. And that, that's really been the focus of our Empower North Dakota Energy Plan, which we started back in 2002. When I started as governor in 2001, we said, hey, we can produce a lot more energy from all different sources and, and continue to grow and, and be a real energy powerhouse uh, for the country. And that's why we set up Empower North Dakota as a way to, to develop all these resources, but also to get them working together because there's a lot of synergies uh, b between the different types of energy and, and between energy and agriculture. Uh, most recent example I'll give you is ADM is building a soybean crush plant uh, at the Spiritwood facility in Stutzman County near Jamestown. And they're actually going to crush uh, soybeans and then send the oil to the Marathon Refinery, which is west of Dickinson, and that Marathon Refinery will produce renewable diesel, uh, which will go out to the West Coast. So there you see, you know, agriculture and, uh, you know, energy, a traditional ag company, ADM, and a traditional energy company, Marathon, working together to produce uh, low-carbon fuels. So that that's how far this thing is, has evolved. But yeah, I, I think we're really a micro, uh, kind of a microcosm of the United States in that we produce energy from every source except for nuclear. And we really do it with the uh, best environmental standards and we're driving the technology forward. And so really, you know, the, the administration, when they come with these regulations and restrictions like moratoriums on producing oil and gas on federal lands, that, that just holds us up. And, and, you know, we were producing as much as 1.5 million barrels of oil a day with the best environmental stewardship. Now we're down to about 1.1 million. It's because we're fighting through, you know, these regulatory burdens and other impediments that have been put in our way uh, by the administration. And, and of course, that, as you say, is part of the reason that you see the cost of gasoline up at the pump. And then that cost of fuel, uh, you know, it, it is a component of inflation in every single uh, product you see, whether it's the grocery store or anywhere else. And so, again, 
you know, we've got to, to uh, be able to continue to produce energy the way we can in North Dakota. Not only is it the most cost-effective, the most dependable, creates great-paying jobs, obviously is very important in terms of combating inflation, but also it's a national security issue, not only for us, but our ability to produce energy here at home is important for us, uh, but also for our allies. And you see what happens when you're not uh, able to produce energy for yourself. Look at uh, Europe and the situation they find themselves in, depending on Russia for supplies of natural gas. It, it, so again, for all those reasons, what we're doing in North Dakota is incredibly important for the country. And yes, to your point, we're not only producing it from all these different types or all these different sources and all these different types of energy, but we're actually driving the technologies forward and uh, doing it better. And we not only crack the code on the Bakken, uh, we're now going to crack the code on carbon capture for our coal-fired electric plants. We're leading the way there. Done a ton of work on it. And think about how important that baseload electricity is for our national grid. You happened to mention um, security earlier when we were talking about Grand Sky and just moments ago. Senator, I remember back during the 2009, in fact, I think it was Secretary of Interior Ken Salazar who was on the agenda, I think with T. Boone Pickens, if I'm not mistaken. But he was talking about the importance of energy independence and security. Is has has that concept gone missing somehow in Washington? Because it seems like some of the steps that we're taking radically and dramatically reduce our ability to be energy independent, which also means you're less secure if you're dependent on others. Am, am I missing something? No, I think you're right on, Mike, and that's exactly what we see with the administration in their effort to go to green energy. They are not, you know, they're holding up our ability to produce energy and holding up our ability to deploy the technologies that actually create better environmental stewardship. And so that that's where they've got to stop with the regulatory burden and the restrictions that are actually impeding our ability to produce more energy and do it more cost effectively and to do it in ways where we stabilize the grid so we don't have blackouts and brownouts, be that in California or Texas during the warm months and, uh, you know, other places in the north during the cold months. And so that's why, that's why I talk about cracking the code on, um, on carbon capture. When I came in as governor, we were producing less than 100,000 barrels of oil a day. Uh, and it was going down. Uh, the oil companies were leaving because they did the vertical drilling and they just it just wasn't, you know, where they felt the future was in terms of oil production. And so we went to work on the directional drilling and the new technologies with companies like Continental Resources and others and develop hydraulic fracturing and directional drilling. And really, you know, the Bakken took off. We went from less than 100,000 barrels a day to 1.5 million huge beneficial impact for our country in terms of energy uh, stability and energy security. Uh, and so, you know, now we're embarked on doing the same thing with our coal-fired electric plants, whereby we're capturing the CO2. Uh, the Dakota gasification plant has already got it underway. They already capture uh, CO2 for um, lignite coal that they convert to synthetic natural gas. 
and they're they're embarked on a second project now in addition to um, what we call enhanced oil recovery, where they actually provide the CO2 out to the Weyburn oil fields for additional oil production. Now they're going to, for the rest of their CO2 stream, they're going to deploy what's called geologic storage, where they just put the CO2 uh, down hole. And both Coal Creek and uh, Minn Kota, uh, Milt Young plant, which are conventional coal-fired electric plants, are embarked on the same thing. In the case of, uh, of uh, Minn Kota, it's called Project Tundra. And they're able to do it now because we put three things in place for them that are very important because they have the technological capability, but it's got to be commercially viable. And so the way we're helping them get to that commercial viability so that they can move forward, which they're now doing, is one, through the Department of Energy, we're helping them in terms of some of the funding of the new technology that has to be put on the plant. Number two, we provide loan, loan guarantees through the Department of Energy and through the rural utility services so that they that helps them finance the investment they're making in these new technologies. And then third is a tax credit program called 45Q, where they actually get uh, tax benefits for sequestering that CO2. With those programs now, we've worked to put in place for them, and in cooperation with the state of North Dakota supporting their efforts, these companies now are moving forward, and we are going to no kidding, crack the coal code for coal-fired electricity so that we can continue to provide that base load for future generations, maintain a strong industry, and, and think, you know, how much that demand for electricity is growing. So it's so important that we do it. Thank you for that information, Senator. I, I'm, I'm looking at the uh, proposed agenda. It's just a draft for the Great Plains Empower North Dakota Energy Conference, which is October 10th. And I'm, I'm just looking at the titles of the, the the breakouts. Carbon capture, and you just happened to mention Project Tundra. That's also Red Trail Energy. So there's two incredibly important projects that deal with carbon capture, cracking the code, as you reference Energy reliability with our good friend and former public service commissioner and then member of FERC, Tony Clark, John Weida from the North Dakota Transmission Authority, data mining, which is becoming incredibly important, not just for data, but also in this crypto world, cryptocurrency world that we now live in. And then technology and innovations and uh, renewable energy storage, the North Dakota Clean Sustainability Authority. The reason I just walked through some of that is first, first of all, it reminds me going back to the first conference that I remember, 2009, very similar agenda. So we've been consistently working at this under your leadership and your colleagues to make sure that we put together a good, robust program. But it leads me to this question. That, this this agenda that I just briefly just scanned, I'm thinking back to what Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan said. We should have an incremental approach and then a strategy, and he referenced North Dakota. I'm looking at this agenda, thinking about strategy, and here's my question. Are, your, are some of your colleagues aware at all of what North Dakota is doing in this very space that is so passionate to them. And I get that. Do they have any idea what North Dakota is doing in terms of leading the way in how we do 
how we effectively approach clean energy and a transition to renewables. Do they have any idea, Senator? I think they do, um, in part because, you know, uh, myself and Kevin Kramer tell them about it. And because they see it, uh, you know, we really are an energy powerhouse for the nation and they know it, they see it, they hear about it. And you make a really great point. You know, here we, we've talked a little bit about the Bakken oil and gas development. We talked a little bit about, um, you know, carbon capture with our coal-fired electric uh, industry. Um, but, you know, you mentioned red trails on the agenda. There's another example. They actually are the first um, biofuels plant in the country. There's one in there's one in Indiana that was a federally licensed plant, but they're the first state. Uh, this is really the first state-approved project uh, in the nation, uh, Red Trail, to actually uh, take and capture their CO2. So there, this is a an ethanol plant. So they get corn from area farmers. They turn it into transportation fuel. They capture the CO2. They put it downhole and they send the the uh, ethanol out to uh, the West Coast as a low carbon fuel, and they get a premium price for it. And so they're really the first plant to be doing that. And the reason they can is because we started back in 2009 and got all the regulatory approvals so that they actually could put the CO2 downhole, and it meets all of the not only the state requirements but also the EPA requirements. We started that process back in 2009, and then I worked to get the EPA approval and I think it was 2016 or 2017. And there's only two places in the country you can even do it. One is North Dakota and the other is Wyoming. And so again, there's a lot of work that goes into this, but we're doing things with these technologies and energy development that no one else is doing. And, and that's another example. And so, yes, when you kind of read through that agenda, and then you talk about all the things we're doing, People do recognize it because we're leading in all of these different areas in many different types of energy production with the new technologies. Well, that conference is um, October 10th, and I'm going to encourage people to go, sign up and go, because it will be very, very informative. You'll get a glimpse of what the future is going to look like, not just for North Dakota, but really for, for the country and the importance of addressing effectively with a plan and a strategy, how to deal with uh, energy and incorporating fossil fuel and carbon, because we're going to need those for a long time. There's, there's no denying that, but there's also no denying that the effective, you know, transition to an appropriate transition to the clean renewables is very, very, very important. Senator, if you, if you had a magic wand, you, you could wave over the heads of uh, people that just absolutely, almost violently reject the concept that we need fossil fuels. What's, what's the one thing you'd want them to know about fossil fuels and its appropriate role for us? Well, that we absolutely do need them. And we're going to need them for a, a long time. And so, sure, we'll, we'll use other types of energy as well. But uh, fossil fuels are vitally important, whether it's for our cars, for air travel, whether it's uh, base uh, for the uh, electric grid. And the thing that I think they need to understand is that we are developing these new technologies uh, like the carbon capture and so forth and sequestration and so forth. Uh, that are enabling us to continue to reduce uh, 
uh, greenhouse gas emissions and at the same time produce more energy. So again, nobody does it with better environmental stewardship than we do. And that's why I talk about these technologies that we're developing and deploying. It's not only that we have these new technologies, but we're actually working to make them commercially viable. And, and that's the right solution that we continue to produce more energy, more dependably, more cost-effectively with the latest, greatest technologies that uh, make sure we're doing it with the best environmental stewardship. And that's exactly what North Dakota is leading in doing. Well, Senator, as we get close to wrapping this up, I, again, I want to thank you for your leadership, not just in the United States Senate, but what you've done for North Dakota over the years. And I'm going to look at one one more project, the gas to liquids facility up in Trenton. That's a almost a $3 billion project where 24,000 barrels a day of military-grade jet fuel will be produced, and it'll be ultra-low sulfur diesel and then naphtha for, for plastics. Were it not for the continued leadership on the part of you, Senator, and your colleagues, for example, establishing this very conference that we just talked about, and you establishing Empower in 2002, and then the the gradual educational process that takes place and then we put into place things like the North Dakota Clean Sustainable Energy Authority, where Al Anderson is the director, our good friend Al. These kind of things couldn't happen. And it's because of your leadership that that they did. And I want to thank you because it, 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 it gives me great pleasure and pride to know that I live in a state where we care about the environment, we care about our fellow citizens, we care about the country, the rest of the world, and we're doing everything possible to make sure that's a great place for everyone. I appreciate your leadership so much, Senator. What's the last thing we should know about you, Senator? Well, it's just, it's obviously, uh, and for me, an honor and a privilege to work for the people of North Dakota. I, I mean, I, I, you know, just to think our state is, is absolutely fantastic in so many ways, but certainly the things we've talked about in terms of agriculture and energy, we, we lead the world. And so just a testament to our great people and their the great work they are doing. And it's fun for me to talk to you about it. So appreciate it so much, Mike. Well, thank you. One last question. How many grandkids now? <laughs> I have seven. They're all boys. And there's another one on the way. So I'll have eight pretty quick here. We don't know if it's a boy or a girl yet. Well, we have our first boy on the way, just so you know. Our first congratulations. Grandson. Thank you very much. Oh, we can, we'll sit down well, and talk about that when it happens. Deb will be happy, boy. There, I tell you, joy. One of the definitions of joy is uh, grandma with a grandchild. It's truly wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you, Senator. God bless you. Thank you for all you're doing. Appreciate your time. Have a great day, Senator. Thanks, Mike. God bless.